Yo, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy Soso, in case you ain't no so, and welcome back to another dope episode of Sports with Soso. Coming to you live, y'all. The Heat are heading home tied 2-2 in their series. The Panthers are down 2-1 in their playoff series. The Marlins have lost 7 out of their last 8 games. And there's been a bunch of upsets in the fighting world. And oh yeah, Chelsea has new owners, but get the same results. It's time to take a ride, y'all. Let's go! Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was supposed to be joined by my co-host, Joel, but he's a little off track right now. He's supposed to join us later on in the episode. We'll see if he can make it. Um, But it's your boy, So. We're back. And on this week's episode, man, we got a lot to talk about. And unfortunately, it's not good things. You know, Uh, the weekend was rough, but it had some cool moments within it. Uh, I don't know if you guys tuned in to F1 this weekend in Miami. I'm sure you guys noticed all the traffic and heard all about it on the news and Instagram and might have gone to the events. Um, Me personally, I think it was a really cool thing for Miami to host. And they're going to have it for the next 10 years. So it's something that we got to get used to down here in South Florida. But it really was a cool thing to host such an international event. Right, because that's what it really is. It's an international event. Uh, racing is very popular outside the United States, and we're slowly starting to build a taste for it, uh, especially down here where there's such an international market. And you know, F1 could thrive down here, and the race itself was pretty cool too. Uh, a lot of known drivers: Lewis Hamilton, uh, Bottas, uh, George Russell, uh, Russell, uh, Max Verstappen, who won the race, Charles Leclerc, who won pole on Saturday for, for driving for Ferrari. Um, and those guys are, are, are incredibly popular. We saw all the celebrities and the who's who of Miami come out. DJ Khaled was out there. Um, Dwayne Wade was out there. Serena, the Williams sisters were out there. And um, I got to say, the funniest thing in, in probably this entire weekend was watching the dude from Sky Sports. His name escapes me right now, but it was just so funny to see him. Um, walking around the paddock or walking around the, the track right there on the grid and trying to talk to famous people and seeing who he can, you know, get a couple of words from that were in attendance of the race or fans of racing in general. And this dude must have gotten told some really bad information um, by one of his producers where somebody says, hey, that's Patrick Mahomes, a big, tall, 6'8 guy, really light-skinned dude, um, looked nothing like Patrick Mahomes. He goes up to that guy and starts talking to him, and he's like, hey, Patrick, uh, I know you're a big fan of the race, and how how do you enjoy the environment? Give us a word about how the you know the atmosphere is down here in Miami, and the guy started talking and comparing himself to some type of training that he does, and the guy you could tell was probably an athlete, but not a well-known athlete, right? Definitely not somebody that Americans would recognize off-rip. And then slowly, like five seconds later, after the guy's answering the question, his producers must have finally got to uh, to the guy's head and said, hey, that's not Patrick Mahomes, man. And he was like, oh, excuse me, what's your name again, sir? Guy says his random name again. Now he's going to be famous. And then so uh, I don't have it in front of me because, again, whatever. And the guy says, oh, my name is such and such. And he's like, great. Thank you for your time. <laughs> and walks away. That, that, that whole thing was a wild experience, man. It was a wild ride. And I don't know. I just think that it's great for the city to host it. I'm sure the city made tons of money, right, uh, with tourism and all that stuff. And we got to put on a good race. And now Miami's going to be known as part of that racing world. So if you haven't watched it on Netflix yet, it's one of the most popular series that they've had to date. So make sure to go check that out. That F1 um, driver series is, is incredible. A lot of, a lot of stuff to see behind the scenes. Um, now we gotta, we, we would be remiss if we talked about this weekend and didn't talk about all that went wrong, right? You guys heard it in the intro, heat lows, um, Panthers are losing, uh, Marlins have been consistently losing, you know, Canelo gets beat, uh, Doug Rose loses her belt in a weird way. Um, and even Justin Gaethje gets, gets, gets knocked out in a week 
weekend full of losses, the the two that stood out the most to me, and it's not because it's like heat first or anything like that, but but it was the manner that we lost. Um, and I'm talking about the two games that we lost to Philadelphia um, on Friday night and on Sunday evening. Both both games were really weird, and I say that to because it's not anything that Philadelphia necessarily did defensively besides Joel Embiid showing up right and being a clog in the paint and, and, and being able to move around but even him he was limited he was very limited with the amount of minutes that he can play uh the pace that he could play at and ultimately like how effective he could be and in game three we were just like really taken aback and we lose that game by 20 points 99 to 79 where the Heat just could never find the rhythm, especially in the fourth quarter. We got pretty much blown out in the fourth quarter. They scored 31 points in the in the fourth to our 14, and we couldn't get anybody going. Um, the only b- person that showed up that game, hell, both games, right? And and, and we'll we'll get to game four in a second. But it was it was Jimmy Butler? Jimmy Butler was the only one carrying us, and he was the one who really showed some type of grit to say, yeah, everything's going wrong for us, but we can still grind this win out and we can still grind the, uh, they, these guys down and find a way to win this game here. But, but but one man can't just shoulder the load on this Heat team. It has to be a team effort. It's how we were able to not only get to the number one seed in the East, but really survive all the different type of injuries that we had throughout the, the season, right? Um, Tyler Hero went down for a little bit. Jimmy was out for a while. Bam missed a month plus. Cal uh, Lowry was out. And now he's leaving this game, right? Hurt again. It just doesn't bode well right now. The performance that the the quote unquote help has not been giving Jimmy. It's 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 a big big gap, and I don't know, man. In this game three, we saw that hole, right? We we shot terribly from the three point line. We were seven of 23 percent, and usually we're around forty percent, thirty nine percent as a team. That just goes to show you that everybody, whoever was playing, right, uh, whoever was playing, was not making threes, and. If Mark Max Struess is 3 of 11, as he was in game three, that's going to be a problem for us because he's not going to be able to affect the game so much defensively where he can make up for that that negative impact that he's having on offense, right? Uh, who else? A guy that really stood out to me was Tyler Hero, right? He shot the ball a lot in game three, 15 shots, only made five. Uh, he ended up the game with 14 points. Two of seven from three. Another guy who I look at and like, man, you you got to be the one to make shots. You know, you can't be the one to force shots. You have to be the one to make shots. And and credit to Philadelphia, right? Because they, I expected them to play with a boost in game three. And that's what they did. They played with a boost. They were happy to have Joel Embiid back. Um, he obviously had an impact on the game. Even though he only pl- he played 36 minutes, he had 18 points, 11 rebounds, uh, one block. And was able to play some really good defense and really stifle Bam on on offense. You know, Bam had pretty much the worst game that he's had in a couple of months. He only ended up with six points. And that's something like nine points, excuse me, with three rebounds. Very weak performance. A a very weak performance from, from Bam. And those are guys that we have to rely on, especially now in the playoffs, to say, how can I get the most out of my team? How can I get the most out of my role players? And, who, and, and how can I put them in position? You know, we started Gabe. Uh, I'm sorry. We started Kyle Lowry and Matt Strews. And then when Lowry went down with the hamstring injury, we threw Gabe Vincent in there. He got a majority of the minutes. Really didn't do anything with it. Uh, Oladipo, we saw him play 21 minutes. Really didn't do anything with it. Uh, didn't shoot a lot. Only took five shots in a game. Tried to facilitate a lot more. But for a guy who played 21 minutes to only have six points, that's that's kind of weak. And, and, and it shows why we lost by so much, right, in the end, in the fourth quarter when it mattered. It was just an ugly loss, and I kind of expected Philadelphia to play much better than they did. Ultimately, they 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 did their thing, right? They hit 16 threes in that game, shot way above their, their normal percentage, and they made 32 shots out of 67 for 47% shooting. A really efficient night for them. Um, but it just shows you how bad we were, 
right? When we're shooting 35% from the field and we're shooting 23% from the three, from the three for an entire game. That just shows you how bad we played. Not necessarily that Philadelphia did anything great because if, if you look at the game tape from game three and game four and you, and you told kind of like tally up the misses or the looks that they were getting, they were good looks. They were real good looks for, for the, for the heat to make those threes. And we couldn't make them for whatever reason. We've been ice cold for like the past months. And especially from three, since the playoff started, Uh, we saw us struggle a little bit from, from the three point line. Granted, Duncan Robinson had that great game one where he was very efficient from three-pointer. But after that, we really didn't get anybody else to step up and hit, let's say, five threes, four threes, six threes in a game. Nobody. Not a Max Struess, not a Gabe Vincent, uh, Oladipo, Hero, you name it. Lowry. Again, the only one who's been showing up consistently this playoff has been Jimmy Butler when it comes to offensive output. And granted, he's the reason why he well he should be the one consistently providing on the offense but that just makes it easier for other teams to key in on him make it harder for him to get to the paint which is what he does we've seen him get to the free throw line a great amount of times in these last two games um 13 times in game four and he made 12 of them so that's obviously his game plan. I'm going to try to get these guys in as much foul trouble and bring us back or give myself a chance by getting to the free throw line. But the Heat go down in game four, 116 to 108, and we waste a 40-point game from Jimmy. Literally waste a 40-point game. He's 13 of 20, uh, 2 of 6 from three-point line. Like I said, 12 of 13 from the f- stripe uh, with three rebounds, six assists, two steals, and two blocks with only one turnover. He gave us a great game. For somebody who's not a great shooter, for somebody who, you know, isn't offensively gifted, he gave us a really great game, and we couldn't do anything behind it. Nobody else could step up and say, hey, let's give him some points. Now, people look at, at Bam's performance and say, oh, but Bam had 21 points, you know, and, and Victor Oladipo ended up with 15. Victor got his in trash time. But in the fourth quarter when it mattered, or in the second half, more importantly, when it mattered, Bam was nowhere to be seen. He couldn't, I think he only had like, what, three, four points in the entire second half or something like that, where he only ended up with 19 points after having a great first half. Those are the the things that we look at and say, damn, it's all right, somebody else has to step up. Or people, I've heard a lot about this today on the radio, and I saw a lot about it on Twitter. You know, I, oh, but Duncan, we got we to gotta see if we get Duncan in there. And, I'm, and I thought to myself, like, yeah, maybe we do need Duncan. But... Regardless of whether or not Duncan's in the game or getting some type of minutes away from these guys, the role players got to hit shots. And I'm not talking about like all of them have to be seven of nine from the field. No, but as a as a unit, you guys can't be getting outscored by Philadelphia's bench when we know that we have the greater depth at, at that position, at that thing, right? At the bench spot. We have plenty of guys who can come off the bench and give us 15, 20 points on any given night because they can hit the three. And nobody's been doing it. So it's easy to say, uh, damn, Spo, you're tripping. You got to play Duncan because, yeah, we need the three-pointers and this and that. Yeah, we do need the three-pointers. But Spo's playing the guys that can play defense and make shots. Now, if they're only playing defense and not making shots, then hell, might as well throw Duncan in there because at this, at this point, you're going to lose on some on either end of the court, right? And Philadelphia, they got hot. This was the first game that uh, James Harden hit more than four points in the fourth quarter. He ended up with 16 in the fourth quarter. He some big threes as the Heat were continue to make a push back in the fourth quarter, waning into the th- uh, final minutes of the game. Even like with two minutes and 50 seconds, you have Jimmy, you know, make an and one, hit the free throw, come back down. P.J. Tucker's playing great defense and Maxi hit a three. And then the same thing happens. Jimmy comes down, makes a tough shot or whatever. Comes back down the other end, Harden with three seconds on the clock, makes another big three from far. What are you going to do? Sometimes they, they just go in, and, and sometimes the, 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 the team that we're playing plays better at home, and the role player's been playing at, better at home. Like I said, it was the first time that Harden popped off in the fourth quarter, in the entire playoffs, and it's the first time that the guys ended up with more than 20 points in a game in like three months. So it's a streak. He's streaky right now, but shit, he's hot. And one guy that we definitely know is hot is Maxi, right? Maxi has been kind of an Achilles heel 
so far this series for the Heat because he's so explosive and he's very fast. He's been getting to the rim a lot. I don't know. I don't know what you, what what you guys think, but me me personally, I'm I'm not gonna say that I'm worried. Right, I'm kind of messed up because I said Heat in five last episode. Uh, we had Vic saying Heat in five or six, depending on whether or not Embiid comes back. Um, now we see the impact that Joel Embiid is having on the 76ers, and more probably more that they were playing at home, right? Because their role players played per, marginally better, much marginally better in in the in game three and four than they did in game one and two. And, you know, listening to Eric Spolster last night on the post game, I, I was tweeting about his reactions and to the questions that they were giving him. And something that, that he said that stood out to me was the fact that we were, we were looking at the stats like, man, we didn't make shots. And in those first two games, we heard Doc Rivers say, man, we got good looks, but we just didn't make shots. Now we were kind of on that other on the other foot, right? Where we were the team saying we got great looks, but we didn't make our shots, and we I felt like we really did. And if you like, I said, if you look at the game tape, it, it shows that the Heat were getting whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And man, we just struggled. We couldn't buy a freaking three um, shots that normally fall for Strews and and Jimmy and Bam inside the paint, just going off and and not really, you know, just going in and. Sometimes when it's not falling, it's it's just not your day, right? But I find it hard to believe that this team is that much worse than Philadelphia is just because of Embiid. Now, granted, Embiid is an MVP, right? Should have been, in my opinion, the MVP over Djokovic. Uh, but he's not. He's hurt. He's obviously still trying to figure out what he can do and to what limitations he's going to be held. And... We have the better squad, so I'm not worried about that. What's what I am worried about, and, and and just to recap, Joel also has the he winning in six, so him and Vic are still alive on this. Just to recap, like and, and be like, I don't know, he makes a big difference, but he's not the difference maker. It's more whether or not that he can make threes. That's the thing because Joel ain't guarding everybody on the three point line. He's probably guarding one person on the line, and in game four we didn't have Deadman, which. Believe it or not, kind of makes a difference because he probably would have tired out and beat a little bit quicker. You know, that's a big body to to throw at him, the mechanic. Uh, let's see. Game five is on, uh, what's today? Monday. Game five is on Tuesday. Game's at 730 on TNT. I don't know. I got the Heat winning by, I want to say, eight, maybe ten. Because I just feel like we're just going to find our rhythm from the three-point line and we're going to find a way to make big buckets down the stretch whenever we need them. I'm, and and I'm sure that Duncan is going to get some extended playing time, but it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter because I really feel like everybody else has to make their shots. It can't just be Duncan. It has to be Struess. It has to be Vincent. It has to be Oladipo. It has to be Hero hitting threes. It has to be all of those guys, P.J. Tucker hitting threes. All of those guys have to start playing well because Jimmy's holding us down way more than we can ask for, and somebody else needs to step up. It doesn't have to be Duncan. Uh, but let's see. Let's get some some pizza mañana because we've been slacking. We got one pizza mañana day in like the last four or five days. I don't like that. It's, it's bad for my diet. I'm getting too skinny. Uh, the Heat, uh, the Panthers, the Heat, the Panthers. They're on a little bit of a, uh, a losing streak right now. They lost game three in a terrible fashion, six one to Washington, and that game was over from the get go pretty much. Um, the first period ended one one, and then. Washington just carried away with it, and the cardiac cats had nothing that they can scramble and put together to try to make an, some type of effort to score goals. Um, ultimately, gave up two goals in the second period, another three goals in the third, including an empty netter, two empty netters, I believe. Goal down six one. Not a not a good road trip so far for the cats in Washington um, after getting a good game two victory, right? We saw them beat the crap out of Washington five, one where they were able to jump out to a head start and put up pretty much five goals in two periods, right? Two in the first three in the third and pretty much cruise into the third period without having to give up a goal or, or needing a goal. Um, Panthers being down two to one is not something that I honestly for was expecting because I thought that, we would win the two games at home, right? With the amazing record that we've had, the streaks that we've had at home, I figured that the Panthers would be able to take care of business and, and really rely on our home fans and, 
And it's been great. You know, everything that I've been seeing on the screens, uh, if you follow um, the Panthers on on Twitter, you'll get a lot of cool, cool, like, looks into the, the arena and how packed it is and the giveaways and stuff like that that they're doing. And if you can afford it, you know, go out there and go see a Panthers game, man, in the playoffs. Uh, game five is going to be down here, I believe, on Sunday or Friday. And it's going to be a, a vibe. It's going to be a great vibe because we know that the Panthers are going to be playing for something big, right? Being being down two to one, I'm, I'm kind of expecting them to to really come out and, and win game four, right? If they can win game four, even it up, get one on the road, head back home to play two more times before you have to go up to Washington or play at least guarantee yourself two more home games, right? Put yourself in a position where you can win the series and kind of shut up all the haters and like kill some of the self-doubt that may be creeping into the team because they definitely have it. You know, they definitely have it. They're playing tonight. Uh, the puck drops at seven o'clock. I'm, I'm going to be done with the podcast by then and upstairs and tweeting and watching alongside you guys and rooting the Panthers on because we need pizza manana, like I said, you know, and more importantly, I really want the Panthers to make it out of the first round. <laughs> I need them to make it out of the first round, baby. I got that, that bet slip waiting on that. But more importantly, for the franchise, they, they need to show that they're headed in the right direction, that the, that the moves that they've made is lending to the progress that they want, that they're an actual contender and not a pretender. Like a lot of people were saying they were or could be heading into the playoffs. Um, we know that historically the Panthers haven't gotten out of the first round, right? Since the Stanley Cup run way back when in 96. Um, no, uh, winner of the Con Smythe, um, Cup has ever gotten out of the first round and, and like until the, like the last four years ago 2017 I think was the year where the last Smythe winner was able to get out of the first round a lot of pressure on the Panthers a lot of pressure and I really feel like the team was built for this moment built to to face the hardest of the adversities early on so that they can be battle tested uh full of conviction and full of you know, belief that they can achieve something greater than what what everybody else thinks. And tonight would be a great night. Like I said, it's Monday, uh, May 9th. Panthers playing at, on the road, 7, seven o'clock. It's going to be a big game, big game four right here. And and like I said, I predict the Panthers winning. I, I actually got them winning six. I, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to, I got them winning five, three by two goals. Uh, I was, I was talking to a, a hockey buddy of mine from work and he was telling me how Coach Burnett is really good with switching up the lines that he puts out there. Um, he really likes to be flexible with how he likes groups of pl- players on the ice together when some things are going right, when some things are going wrong. He has a bunch of scenarios. Kind of reminds me of Spolster where he can just tap back to different scenarios and say, yeah, I can use these three guys for this scenario right here. Be very attentive, if you can, when you guys are watching the replay tomorrow on Tuesday of this Panthers game. Be attentive to how good the passing in between the blue lines, between the players, is going to be. That's where the Panthers can dominate. In between the two blue lines, in the middle of the ice, that's where they dominate the most. And that's where they can get a lot of their fast-charged attacks going. The more efficient they can be within those two blue lines and really connect passes, you're going to see a lot of streaking, uh, a lot of cuts to the, to the goal, and a lot of hopefully goals tonight as we beat the Washington Capitals in Washington. Now, I, I got to bring up the Marlins because I got to bring up the Marlins because they've been struggling. And ultimately, they got off to a hot start. Um, they got close to 500 for a little bit, and we, we saw them go above 500 for a game or two. And then it went downhill. We took two out of three from the Seattle Mariners about a week and a half ago. And and at that point, everybody was feeling really good about the Marlins, right? Um, Everybody was probably really excited with the pitching that we've had because we've seen some really, really good pitching from Pablo Lopez. He's been dominant for the for the Marlins. He actually got the win in the losing streak because um, the Marlins have lost seven straight games prior to him taking the mound against the Padres. Lose to Seattle on that last one after winning the first two games, and then you lose three straight to Arizona. You lose the next two 
to San Diego out of a four-game series, take the third game, lose the fourth game, and you lose the fourth game in heartbreaking fashion because one of our ex-Marlins, uh, ex-catcher Jorge Alfaro, he was a pinch hitter last night. Game was 2-0. to zero. Had a little error on third. The Marlins may go for it, get the out. Uh, get two next two guys for the Padres get on base. They pinch hit Alfaro, and he comes in and hits a three-run homer to end the game. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. But at least we can look at this Marlins team and say, okay, maybe they're not the greatest when it comes to putting up runs, but shit, their pitching really is out of hand because you already have, um, well, let's see, three, four, five guys with at least two wins, right? Talked about Pablo Lopez. He's leading the team with four wins on the season. He's four and one. Um, just really dominant pitching from him. He, he He's only given up four home runs this season, one home run, 35 strikeouts on the season, uh, eight walks. Really amazing pitching that, we've seen, that we're seeing from this guy. His ERA is 1.0 right now, which is, again, nasty and, and not something that people were really expecting from this Marlins team. And then you got right behind them uh, – Sandy Alcantara, he has two wins on the season. Uh, Jesus Luzardo, who I talked about last week, he's having a good season so far. T-Raw with one win on the season. We need guys to step up and really give this Marlins team some run support because if you look at the strikeouts that this team is putting up, you're going to see the the leader being Luzardo with 35, tied with Lopez, and then right behind them is Alcantara with 31 strikeouts, Hernandez with 23 strikeouts, T-Raw with 21 strikeouts. Um, so the starting pitcher is is doing their thing, right? Not a lot of earned runs on here, except for the effect of Hernandez, right? He got rocked for one of his games. But ultimately, it's not something that is a problem for the Marlins. Pitching hasn't been the issue. It's really been how many... How many quality runs can the Marlins put up? Because besides Jazz and um, Jorge Soler, who's really starting to catch fire, he had a grand slam the other day. Besides those two guys, we're not getting any type of consistency. Jazz is continuing to lead the team with batting average and home runs, right? He has a 310 average with five home runs and 21 RBIs also leading the team. And nobody else is really stepping up behind that. Uh, Jesus Aguilar has been a little bit of a disappointment for me. He's batting two seventy three on the season. Not really great for we, for what we know he can do, right? Uh, it's just been not not enough. Not enough from Jesus Sanchez, uh, who started off hot but has kind of fell off a little bit lately. Not enough from him. Not enough from Garrett Cooper. And... You know, Jazz can't be the only one similar to the Heat, right? We can't just have one guy pulling the weight for the team. The 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 Marlins are going to have to find a way to to put up real runs consistently for this pitching staff because honestly, it can be one of the great ones that we've seen that is a prospect team for future, right? For the future, excuse me. Meaning that the guys that we have right now, they're going to be able to show off their talent and really display what they can do. It may not result in a lot of W's because the team is still learning. This team is still still growing and, and trying to figure out how to play together. But this is a team that we look back on and say, damn, remember when we had Pablo Lopez two years ago? And now look at him. He's a 15-game winner. He's a 20-game winner. He's in contention for the Cy Young. He can be that dominant. Uh, we also see it with Alcantara. When he's on, he is freaking on. And he can be one of those guys that can contend for for awards and, and be an all-star pitcher and stuff like that. But it may not happen right away unless the Marlins can score runs and help these guys get wins. Eventually, their talent will get noticed because they'll get good enough where they're pitching, you know, shutout games and not giving up a run in six, seven, eight innings and then relying on the bullpen to hold it together or relying on the offense to put up a run so that they can close out the game. We're going to be able to see that from this pitching staff because I really am a believer that it's a good one. And it's it can be potentially a great one depending on whether or not they can figure out the relief pitching. We've blown too many games, way too many games, and whether or not their offense can really get together. Now, this weekend in the fight world, we saw a lot of losses. Right, we, this 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 episode has been surrounded around that theme of losses where. Canelo took a loss to um, Demetrius Brivov in the light heavyweight division. Uh, he was fighting for Brivov's WBA title. Uh, 
lost the decision on all three cars, 115 to 113. And what I don't understand is why people are giving Canelo such a hard time. If, you, if you've been following it on Twitter, uh, you've been seeing that he's been getting a lot of hate for going up in weight and trying to do something which hasn't been done before. And in my mind, I'm thinking, damn, you know, as a boxer or as a fan of boxing, I always want to see somebody... Um, Go up and go for it, right? Go go for all the belts. Try to be the, the greatest boxer of all time, regardless of, of the weight class. And if Canelo felt that he can challenge this dude for that title, go try it. You know, you're not giving up any of your belts that you already dominated. And all credit to Dimitri, right? Because he really put a whooping on Canelo to the likes that we have really haven't seen in a long time. Such a masterclass since probably the Mayweather fight where... Uh, Dimitri was able to keep his his jab in Canelo's face, really hit him in the face a lot, a lot of body blows, keep the distance and not let Canelo get close. And Canelo tried to land his signature hook several times, in especially in the later rounds where he felt like maybe this fight is slipping from me. I got to get a knockout or a knockdown at least. And he was trying to work in there and trying to work the body. But again, credit to Dimitri, who was able to put canelo on his back foot and really keep him out of the center of the ring and keep him moving around the ring and not allowing canelo to get comfortable at any point in the fight and it was not surprising when the decision came out because as i was watching the fight yes split screen i had ufc on one side and the boxing match on the other um i wasn't surprised when when the announcer said that dimitri bivol had won the belt and I wasn't surprised that Canelo wanted the rematch, right? Because he probably felt like, man, with more training and a little bit of studying more tape, I can really take this guy. Not only outpoint him, but probably do some damage to him because Canelo has to find a way to get close to him. And again, that was Dimitri's game plan. Keep this guy away from me. Eat these stiff jabs. Eat these hard rights coming down the, the pipe and see what you can do with it. Canelo had no answers for it. And... Like I said, I don't understand why people are, are giving Canelo a hard time for taking on that challenge and going up and wait. Uh, for me, it was an, a very impressive thing to do. Maybe people don't like that, uh, that you have to keep going up and checking new challenges. But what do you want the man to do? You want him to stay at 147 forever, 154 forever? No, you want this guy to, to see what he can accomplish. He knows that he's chasing some type of legendary status, and he has to try to do some legendary shit and going up and way and challenging a guy who has six, seven inches on you and has uh, a longer length by four, five, six inches than you. That's a real tough challenge. And Canelo took it face to face. Um, again, all credit to Dimitri because he put in an, an exemplary fight, um, a real masterclass of, and he only not only showed Canelo that, Hey, I ain't no pushover. You know, this this wasn't going to be an easy fight. And if we fight again, it won't be an easy fight. But he also sent a message to the rest of the light heavyweights and said, this is my division. I just beat the best boxer in the world. And he probably has more and definitely has more boxing class than anybody else in this division. So if you want this belt, come and get it. Shout out to Dimitri for a hell of a performance and a hell of a victory. I'm sure that the rematch is going to be already in works and Canelo will probably look even better. Um, unless he fights somebody else. Who knows? Boxing is weird like that. In, in mixed martial arts, man, UFC 274, pretty dope. It was pretty dope because we had an amazing pack card, right? The undercard really didn't have too many great fights, but we saw some good wins there. And in the main card, we saw Shogun Rua uh, make an incredible comeback. That guy's 41 years old, fighting out of Curitiba, Brazil. Um, he lost to St. Pierre, who beat him before i think it was like four years ago when shogun rule was trying to make a comeback and i think that ultimately kind of put a damper on on his um on his career because you know not a lot of people a lot of people are going to want to see him keep fighting in the octagon and and really trying to put himself out there so I, I'm, I'm thinking that this was the end for him but who knows these these mma fighters man these guys don't know how to quit now we saw, in my opinion, one of the candidates for knockout of the year. Um, 
Michael Chandler was fighting Tony Ferguson. Both of them were former interim champs or champs in the lightweight division. Uh, both were coming off of lo- Michael was coming off of victory. Tony was coming off a loss. And these guys are warriors, and they they both ha- are have that competitive spirit and that competitive heart to not give up in fighting. And there was a lot of mutual respect going into this fight. And me, as a fight fan, was super excited because I knew that I was going to get a war here between these two guys. Both of them very savvy when it comes to uh, jujitsu and takedowns and whatnot. And they both have that knockout power where they can put a guy's lights out in one second. And we actually saw that. Uh, Michael Chandler, with an amazing upkick to Tony Ferguson's chin, completely put him to sleep. And... That was after Tony Ferguson had caught Michael Chandler and kind of stunned him twice early in the first about 45 seconds to a minute in that in that first round. He really stunned him. And Michael kind of had to like survive that round. But we've seen Michael take big hits and bounce back. And that's exactly what he did. He went into his he survived the round. Tony obviously was the dominant uh, fighter in that first round, probably, uh, in my opinion, won the first round. And then we saw Michael Chandler come out focused in that second round, and he he saw something, an opening, and he said it in the post game. He was in the post uh, fight interview. He he saw an opening. He said, "You know what? His hands were too wide apart. I could see his face clearly. He can block my hands if I try to load up and hit him with a power punch." And I decided to throw the kick, and it landed flush on Tony's chin. Put him straight to sleep. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Joe Rogan's reaction to it, go check it out. Uh, I'll probably retweet it later. It's just amazing how Tony's face like crimpled up. People were saying he looked like a nug, a chicken nugget on it on Twitter and Instagram. Had his face being crushed like a can, like a soda can. It was bad. Um, but between those two guys, there was nothing but respect. Uh, Michael Chandler gave. Uh, Tony Ferguson, a lot of respect for still doing it and being such a dangerous opponent. And Tony Ferguson said, hey, man, these things happen when you put yourself on the line and, and you know, really bring it and try to entertain the fans with a fight. And that's what Tony did. And shout out to both of those guys for really entertaining us this weekend. Um, now, in the co-main event, we had Thug Rose taking on Carla Esperanza. Excuse me. And this was a rematch of the Ultima Fighter uh, strawweight because these two women fought for the first strawweight belt with Rose losing to Carla by real uh, naked chokehold and ultimately winning the Ultimate Fighter, going on to being the champ, and then Carla lost her belt to... I believe she lost it to... Jan Zunig? I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. But eventually she kind of... Fell down in the rankings, Carla did, and had to work her way up. Thug, on the other hand, was working her way up from that loss. Eventually got a title shot, lost, won it again, and then had two back-to-back impressive victories over uh, Zhang Li, who is a devastating fighter and a devastating champion, or was a devastating champion in that strawweight division. And a lot of people were kind of upset with how this fight went out because it went down to the five rounds, right? It went down to decision, and Carla won the belt on the decision by by the referees or the judges, let's say. And in my opinion, she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve it because she really didn't bring the fight to Rose, right? And Rose being the the champion, she did her thing, right? She defended. She attacked when she could. She stopped her takedowns. Um, I didn't have any significant ja- damage. It's not like she landed a lot more than Rose did. Rose had... 38 total strikes to Carlos, 30. Uh, significant strikes were 37 to 30 in, in favor of Rose. Um, all to the head, more to the body. And the one thing that you can give Carla credit for is the control, right? She On the ground, she was trying to work Rose. Uh, she had two takedowns. But, again, she, in my opinion, she didn't do enough to, A, win the fight, or, B, win the belt. And for the judges just to give up the belt like that on a unanimous decision, I felt it was kind of weak, right? Especially... Uh, it wasn't a split decision, excuse me. It wasn't unanimous. It was 47-48, 46-49, and 48-47. And I really hope that they do the rematch, you know, that, because it, it's deserved it so. It's really deserved it so. Um, because it, Rose doesn't deserve to lose like that, and I don't think that Carla would want to win like that, right? There's been a lot of backlash on it, and I feel like she would want to represent and say, hey, I won this belt fair and square. Let's run it back. Let's see what happens. 
In the main event, there was a belt on the line, but only for one person. Justin Gaethje was going to be able to win the belt had he defeated uh, Charles Oliveira because Charles couldn't make weight. And um, it was kind of weird that he couldn't make weight because he made weight in the back, in the background. Uh, they have two different scales for you guys who don't know at, when they do the weigh-ins, right? They have the official weigh-in, which is on the front on the stage, which is calibrated on stuff. And then they have another calibrated uh, weight or uh, scale on the back in the back room where all the fighters like kind of like get dressed unchanged whatever and he weighed in at 155 perfectly on the back scale came out and was half a pound over now when you're half a pound over they give you time to lose the half pound and they gave him an hour and charles still couldn't lose the half a pound even after sweating and running and all that stuff couldn't lose a half a pound and ultimately was stripped of the belt before the fight could even happen now, going into the fight, he said that it wasn't going to distract him because he knows that the easiest way to get his belt back is to win. And he was focused on winning and making sure that he puts a statement in that light, heavy, lightweight division. And he certainly did. And a lot of people now have to come to him to not only win that belt. It may not be his, quote unquote, or officially, right? But it is his belt. And that division does run through him because... Justin had Marcus Hurt in that first round. And um, early on in the fight, he hit him with uh, a hard right hand. Uh, who, and Justin is really good at throwing overhand rights. Hit him with an overhand right. Drops Mar uh, Charles. And Charles immediately fell down, went into guard. He was like, all right, well, you want to bring it down here? Come down here. Justin didn't want any part of that. He let Oliveira get up because obviously it, it, it's to his benefit to stay standing up. And he thought that he had weakened him. But, man, there is just so something in Charles Oliveira that doesn't quit. And he said, you know what? I'm going to put you on your back heels. He landed a big punch of his own, was able to drop Justin Gaethje, which is strange because Justin has really good defense when it comes to standing up. He you normally doesn't take big blows, right, especially to the head, maybe to the body. It's okay. But he usually doesn't get punched like that. And... He went down instantly, and once he went down, I knew the fight was over because Charles was going to be able to get him, whether whether Justin was knocked out or whatever, because he wasn't com completely. I just knew that Charles wanted to hurt him and get him on the ground so that he can submit him as quickly as possible. And that's exactly what happened. He hurt him, dropped Justin, uh, climbed on top of him, was able to get his back, and pretty much got him in the chokehold, a rear naked choke, and ended the fight in three minutes and 22 seconds. Um, I think he has the most submission wins now in the UFC history. Um, most submission wins in lightweight division, for sure. And had he had the belt, that would have been his third consistent, third straight uh, title defense that he would have won. Um, this guy is a beast, man, in this lightweight division. People talk about Connor, people talk about uh, Khabib, and all this, and a bunch of guys. But, you know, Charles just has something that these guys don't have the ability to not quit and, and not give up no matter what. And he can take a fucking punch, let me tell you, man, because this guy has been in wars before. It's not like he's just some jujitsu guy who's waiting to get people down. No, he's willing to stand and bang. And if that's your game, he's willing to play your game and show you, I can beat you here too. So this performance was very impressive by uh, Oliveira. Um, I'm interested to see who gets the, the fight next uh, for the belt. I don't think it's going to be Justin because losing like that in such a dominating fashion, right, where you get punched, you get knocked down, really hurt, and then submitted. I don't think he's going to, uh, you know, garner automatic rematch. It's going to be interesting who the UFC throws at Charles for this lightweight belt. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Diamond Dustin Poirier, actually said that he wanted that fight. And um, I think that would be a great fight to see Charles Oliveira fight Dustin Poirier for the for the belt. Why not, man? We know that DP is, is game, and he's a hell of a challenger, or a hell of a fighter, and he's dominated that division before, and, and he's probably looking to do it again. But right now, like I said, it's Charles, and, and everything has to run through him. So let's see and hope that fight happens sooner than later, hopefully in the next two UFC events events now me personally i gotta give you guys five minutes uh, or more of what's been happening with chelsea you guys know that i am a huge chelsea fan uh lots of love for that team and there's been a lot of drama surrounding that team um 
because of the war in Russia with Ukraine or the war in Ukraine with Russian attacking them, I should say. Um, So England decided to sanction Roman Abramovich. He's one of the close friends of Vladimir Putin, uh, allegedly. Let me not say nothing like that um, without any type of facts, but... They pretty much sanctioned him and the team, pretty much freezing Chelsea from doing anything, right? We couldn't buy players. We couldn't sell players. We couldn't negotiate with players. We couldn't have sponsorships. We lost our gaming license, which means that we lost our license to play in the Premier League. Um, Our funds were frozen. We couldn't allocate funds to travel, right? And that stuff gets expensive because we were still competing in three cups. Uh, We were still in Champions League play at that point. Um, So we had to charter flights, pay for hotels, all that stuff, right? Stuff gets expensive when you're, when you own a team like that and you're, you're playing in European uh, tournaments and having to fly all around Europe, right? You're not just stuck in England. Uh, so the money was frozen, team was frozen, couldn't make any moves, nobody in, nobody out. And there was a lot of drama to find a new owner. Um, basically, Reigns Group, which is a, a, a capital group from New York, was put in charge by the government of, of England to sell Chelsea pretty much to the, a good bidder. Right. And by a good bidder, I mean somebody who has the funds to allocate to this team immediately, uh, has a experience in sports, um, namely in owning teams, and also has some type of board or, cons- or consortium that ultimately has that type of representation in sports, right? Whether it be in soccer, international soccer, FIFA, whatever the case may be, or even in ownership. Um, it was it was a shit show, pretty much for for it felt like forever, but it was realistically two months of just a bunch of up and downs, right? Where there's a bunch of guys um, ultimately bidding for the group. It was it came down to four of them. I'm not gonna bore you guys with the detail on all four. I'm just really gonna focus on the guy who won the bid, which is Todd Bowley. Um, now, if you're a sports fan or a baseball fan or a Dodgers fan, this guy is familiar to you because he's a part owner of the Dodgers. And a consortium led by him um, and backed by Clearly Capital, they won the the bid, right, and to pretty much buy Chelsea. They had to come up with about $4 billion, right, of liquidated funds, assets, resources that they can contribute immediately to the team. Uh, because like I said earlier, right, uh, Roman was the owner. He was putting his own t- money into the program. And when they sanctioned him and they froze his assets, that, inf- that included everything that Chelsea had, right, or how they operated. So the England sporting board really wanted to make sure that Whoever was going to be able to buy Chelsea can not only afford to buy Chelsea right now, but can afford to also really invest heavily in the team right now. Because that's what we were used to when it came to Roman. Um, The only difference is that there's a board now, right? There's not just one voice. Before it was Roman and whatever he said went. And Marina and Peter Cech and company, all those guys fell in line and said, all right, this is what the boss man wants to do. Spend the money. Don't spend the money. Get this player. Don't get this player. Whatever was at his whim, fire this coach, don't fire this coach, right? Now we have a consortium led by Todd Bowley, and yes, he's going to be the main representative. He's going to be the main one with the shot with the shot calling power. But you, he's also going to go have to speak to a board and say, "Hey guys, this is what I think we should allocate our funds on these twelve players," and probably whittle it down to three, four guys that we sign or whatnot, or who we sell, right, and for how much. Now. Thankfully, he has a lot of experience with turning the Dodgers into a not only a really good franchise. We've seen the Dodgers w- compete for World Series and win World Series in baseball, um, but also raise the value of the team, right, and really invest in the team. I'm hoping that well, that was part of the deal too, right? You had to invest in the team in the youth sport. Uh, we have a great women's team, and they're they're going to need more financial backing. Um, the youth academy is going to need more financial backing. Uh, Cobham himself, right? Our training facility was going to need renovations the stadium um stanford bridge was going to need renovations all of that was included in the four billion dollars that these guys had to put up and i'm really confident in todd bowley's um ability 
right, to get this moving in the right direction because Chelsea historically have been really bad when it comes to signings, right? We'll sign one player, sign a head coach, fire the head coach, sign new players that the coach wants, and then have to sell that player who's the old player's coach because now the new coach doesn't like him. And all of that did was cause a bunch of chaos and confusion to how we play the game, to how we attack teams. What's our identity? What type of players are we looking for? What type of academy are we trying to build, right? What type of sponsorships are we trying to build? All of that stuff was really unstable for Chelsea before under Roman. Now we're looking to have a lot more stability in that, which should lead to immediate success. Now, it hasn't been on the field, right, because... In all competitions, we've probably lost, what, four out of our last five. We tied against Wolverhampton this weekend with the new owner in, in the stadium. And the, the, the focus isn't there right now for Chelsea Football Club on the pitch itself. But at least the season is coming close to an end. Uh, we had the FA Cup final um, this weekend, May 14th, against Liverpool. And then two more Premier League games before the season is over. And then we can look forward to the summer. Uh, the team's coming to... Um, Florida and Orlando, actually, your boy's thinking about going up there. Stay tuned. I'll let you know. Um, but Chelsea has things to look forward to. We just need to get this season over with, however it ends, get it over with, head into the summer fresh with a new direction, a new owner, and and get it out of there. So that's why you haven't be heard, heard me talk a lot about Chelsea because there's just been a lot of shit show to talk about, and I really didn't have the the patience to talk about Chelsea until today. Uh, because Joel sold me out. Joel, I love you, baby, but you sold me out. Cause, um, but that's what it is, man. We got things to look forward to. We got the Heat playing Tuesday night. As you guys are listening to this, uh, Panthers hopefully hooked us up with pizza mañana, and you guys can order pizza for the Heat game. And all all turns back into winning in South Florida, like we're accustomed, right? We get the Marlins to get a, on a winning streak to kind of combat that seven game losing streak. The Heat can t- take a hold of the series, winning game five, and the Panthers can you know really make some noise this weekend. And hopefully by the time we record again in studio in our brand new setup we're going to be able to talk about some heat wins some panther wins and some marlin wins but your boy Soso is running out of time i gotta thank you guys for joining in um man uh, thanks for hanging out it's it wasn't easy to do this by myself but you know me i'm a thug i do it all, all day baby because it's what i do i'm lying i'm not a thug i'm just a regular podcast host that's me so so um but i want you guys to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about all of our social media platforms make sure you guys are following us and if you enjoy the show tag a friend who would enjoy the show too when you see the instagram post when you see the instagram story you see the youtube drop a comment tag your friend let them know hey man what do you think about this do you agree you disagree and let us know what you guys think we love hearing from you guys because you are the guy you guys are the inspiration for this podcast and we're going to keep bringing it to you until next time y'all peace